Welcome to the podcast home of young, eerie professionals. Here, we present a variety of YEP events in audio form, including this fireside chat with Steve Weiser, executive director of the Erie Philharmonic. Young Erie Professionals is comprised of over 200 young professionals from the greater Erie area, all of varying disciplines and occupations. But it's a group with a very singular purpose, forming community and contributing to the future of Erie, Pennsylvania. We believe that by investing in ourselves today, we are investing in our tomorrow, a tomorrow both longtime and prospective residents can be proud of. In addition, YEP is proudly a program of the Erie Regional Chamber and Growth Partnership. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Hi guys, this is Ashlyn here from the Civic and Community Engagement Committee. Uh, today we have Ben Halkowski from our committee and we have Steve Weiser from the Philharmonic. And this is the first of many of our community leader interviews to come. So Ben, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh yeah, first one, no pressure. Uh, hi everyone, my name is Ben Halkowski. I'm the Lake Effect Leaders AmeriCorps VISTA Project Director. Yes, that's a mouthful. Uh, we are an intermediary sponsor for AmeriCorps VISTA assignments based in Northwestern Pennsylvania. Um, I've been in my role for one year now, and I've lived in the area for about three years. Um, I've had a great time getting to know some of the people. Um, so Steve, this is more so about you. So why don't you tell us about yourself? All right. So my name is Steve Weiser. I'm the executive director of the Erie Philharmonic. Uh, this is you kind of lose track of time when you've been stuck at home for so long. But this is my fifth or sixth season here with the Erie Philharmonic. I became executive director back in 2015, uh, leading into that season. And then before that, I was actually a musician with the orchestra while I worked with the Erie Chamber Orchestra out of Gannon. Uh, before that, I, I lived and grew up in the Philadelphia area with an undergrad and master's um, in music performance from Temple. So I've been in Erie since 2012 and then at the Phil since 2015. Awesome. Um, so what would you say a typical workday uh, looks like as the executive director of the Erie Philharmonic? So one thing that we've had good success here with is we sort of, we broke down a lot of the walls and silos in a normal orchestra that you would see where you maybe would have different people working on marketing or development or grant writing. And with just the way our staff structure is set up, we all get to do a lot of anything. So for me, a normal day would start with me signing on probably around 6.30 or 7 in the morning just because I'm nuts. And I probably, I do all of the Facebook posting for the orchestra over the course of a week. So I sort of lay out and schedule our social media to sort of start the day. And then a normal day could see me do anything from write a grant. I do a lot of the newspaper design for marketing and advertising. I do a lot of that. And I also make all of our TV commercials. In addition to doing committee meetings, uh, again, writing grants, asking for money for sponsorships, donations, things like that. So it's it's definitely all hands on deck all the time. Sounds like you have a busy schedule. It's it's fun. It, it's, <laughs> it really is. I mean, we're, I'm a, we're all, everyone on the staff, we're all musicians at heart one way or another. So it makes it kind of easy. We're, we're all passionate about what we do just because it's our lives. So it's the days are busy, but there's a lot of variety. Uh, it's It's never boring at all. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did you know you wanted to become the executive director of the Erie Philharmonic? 
I, again, grew up in music, so I, I've been doing music as long as I can remember. I started piano lessons when I was in kindergarten, picked up drums uh, in around fourth or fifth grade, and then I, I ran a very large teaching studio back outside of my house um, in Reading, Pennsylvania, where I taught about 60 drum students a week, which is nice because it's, it's, it's music, but it's also a business when it becomes that big. And then at the same time, I was timpanist of the Reading Symphony, and my dad was executive director of the orchestra at the same time. So I kind of had behind the scenes, not necessarily training, but it's just it's your life, where my mom was in the orchestra, I was in the orchestra, and my dad was executive director. You just kind of live and breathe it. So before I moved from Philly to Erie, I was taking orchestra auditions to win a spot in a big orchestra and interviewing for executive positions, and I pretty much was committed to taking whichever job hit first. And Gannon and the Erie Chamber Orchestra said yes first, so I moved to Erie and the rest is kind of history. Sounds like quite a journey. <laughs> it is, and then when, when I worked uh, at Gannon with the Erie Chamber Orchestra, it was kind of a, a one-man shop, so I had to do everything myself. There was a music director, and then I had to do everything else myself. So what would be six or seven positions at the Erie Phil was one person's job there. So you had to do everything from write the grants to hire the musicians, to bow the music, to setting up the stage, to arranging music stands, like every aspect. So that's that's incredible on the job training where it's just sort of sink or swim in figuring out what to do because it doesn't matter, you're the only person to do it. So sort it out. Very cool. So this next question is a little higher level, but what would you say the importance of the Philharmonic is to the Erie community? I think we, we, the answer might have been different a year ago when you're creating these group experiences for 2,000 plus people in something like the Warner Theater, or you're doing youth concerts for 8,000 kids over the course of two days. I feel like the, the answer would have been different then versus right now. I think it's mm -hmm. the importance of sort of the, the fulfilling and the refillment that you get from music and arts in your life that we never would have known a way to do it if we weren't now in the middle of TV concerts that we're literally bringing into people's homes. And the responses that we've received from people from doing these television concerts have really kind of blown us away, where it goes beyond, oh, that concert was really cool, thanks a bunch, to your, your I didn't realize how much I missed the music until I saw your musicians on my television and I cried because I didn't realize how much I missed that experience of being around the arts and being sort of exposed to that music, that the feeling you get when you, you have that sound kind of hit you in waves. So I think the, the support that we've seen with the amount of people that we've reached, normally a sellout concert will reach around 2000 people and our TV concerts are reaching 6,000 alone just on television, not including the Facebook reach and the fact that it's on on a website. We've gotten emails from people in California and Kentucky that are like, thank you so much for making your concert available. My orchestra in Cincinnati, which is an orchestra 10 times the size, isn't doing the amount of work that you're doing. Thank you so much. So I think it really shows like our mission statement, and I've said this to any other place I've talked about things, a mission statement is normally made up of two to three sentences of just, I don't want to say garbage, but it's just a lot of words. And for us, we took our mission statement and ripped everything out except three words, enrich, entertain, educate. And everything we do comes back to those three words. And I think a lot of what we've had to do this season totally focuses on that. That's wonderful. 
Um, so I guess that kind of ties into another question that we have is how has COVID-19 impacted the Philharmonic and what does it look like to put on a virtual concert? So what were some of the obstacles that you faced early on and how did you overcome those? I, I think if you would have told me a year ago, the first thing we would do back would be a television concert. I never would have believed it. It's sort of, it's, it's kind of mind boggling. Uh, a lot of it is the, one of the, the tricky things we have to navigate is the Erie Phil, the musicians are unionized with a collective bargaining agreement with a local musicians union that all the way, that funnels all the way up to the American Federation of Musicians out of New York City. So we have to, we had to start that process very early in figuring out how is the contract going to be different this year and how can we work out the rights to be able to put our musicians on television, on Facebook and things like that. So that process started in probably May of last year. We didn't really know what we were going to do in the, in the fall, but we knew the only option was the only no option not on the table was going away. We knew if we stopped doing things, if we stopped doing concerts, the audience was gonna disappear and it would take years to get them back. So we had to figure out what was the safest way to do it. And we knew that there wasn't gonna be enough success to have people buy digital tickets and to, have, to force people to only watch their computer screen. We know a certain generation would, that would be great. Like, oh, a virtual concert on a computer screen, I'll stream it on my Apple TV and I'll be good to go. But that didn't get everybody. And we were nervous in this kind of a time period, we don't wanna leave anybody out. So we had to figure out how do we get this concert literally to everybody. And it was one time I was just brainstorming outside uh, with my wife who also works at the Erie Phil. And she was like, why don't we just find a way to put the concerts on television, on PBS? And one email later to Tom New, who's equally as crazy as we are when it comes to big ideas, like, what if we put the Erie Phil on television? He was like, let's do it. And then the simplest thing was to make it free because then we didn't have to worry about what are ticket sales going to look like? How do you handle, do you do a ticket per household or one per person or how does that go? And the biggest thing is with how crazy the world was, I didn't want people to have to make a choice between groceries or something else or something else and an eerie fill ticket. I wanted you to know that no matter what, you'd be able to turn on your TV and there we were. So we had to figure out how do we record the concerts and that that's where having a partner like QLN really helped. They show up, they record the concerts and then Jamie Stewart who works with Mega Media Factory records the audio. We record over two different sessions on one day at Edinburgh University. They take the footage and the audio, mix it together and then they create a program that we edit a few times behind the scenes and then it turns into a TV program that goes out on those Thursday nights. But it was liberating when you come up with the idea that we can probably survive and it's probably just better if we make our season free for everybody. And then mm -hmm. it, it just, it kind of guaranteed that there was never a time period that we weren't available to everyone. When it's time for ticketed events, we'll come back to that when it gets there. But until that point, it just, it made the most artistic and sort of karmaic sense at a certain point. Like this was the time to pay it forward. Yeah, that's excellent. So do you have any favorite concerts that come to mind that the Philharmonic has put on recently or even in the past for that matter? So I'm a, I'm a movie nerd, as you can see from Iron Man right there. I'm a movie nerd and a, and a percussionist. I, if, if you could do a Marvel movie with music, I'd be there in a heartbeat. But until that point, one of the things I was really looking forward to is this this year for us, in what would have been the normal year was gonna be a crazy year because the Warner was closing for renovations. So our whole season was gonna be in a hockey arena. 
We, we literally had 10 concerts planned in the ear insurance arena. And you don't go to a hockey arena to do small, simple concerts because you're, you're in stinking hockey arena. So we had planned to end the season this year with Star Wars, with live orchestra. So I'll, I'll give the answer as the, my favorite concert is the one that we would have done this June. And you, you literally have an 80 person orchestra playing to the full film of Star Wars, the whole orchestra playing along on a, what would have been a 40 foot movie screen in the hockey arena. So we had to cancel it for lots of obvious reasons. And it's, it's not the kind of concert that you really even wanna do with social distancing, because if you're doing Star Wars, you're doing it to cram in 2000 people that wanna see it. So that'll, not letting the cat out of the bag, but I would say there's no way that won't be part of next season when we return back to the Warner Theater and guarantee you're gonna see Star Wars for sure, which just makes my nerd heart happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's good to hear. Well, hopefully sometime in the future uh, that can happen. So outside of music in the Philharmonic, what is your favorite thing about Erie or in Erie in general? For me, and this is going to just bury me, but I love the weather. And I don't know if it's, if it's just me, if I'm just a glutton for punishment, but I used to spend summers um, at a music festival out in Colorado in Aspen um, don't get the wrong thing. The Aspen Music Festival is still for very poor college musicians. We don't get any special treatment. But when you're in Aspen, you are literally at the most perfect weather spot on the planet. And Erie is the closest thing I've ever seen to that in the nice days. I like snow and the cold, so I'm fine with that. But those beautiful days that you get in May, June, and July, where there's a breeze off the lake and it's maybe 75 and there's no humidity, that's amazing. Because when, when you live in Philly, like I did, and outside of Philly and Reading, you never get weather like that. It's just 92 and humid every single day of the summer. And here, it's just, it's beautiful like that. So then that, that turns into the fact that there's, like, there's a vibrant State Street moving here from a city that's almost the exact same size in Reading. Reading has nothing like State Street, where you can just walk down and there are restaurants and bars to be able to go to. And there's a baseball stadium and a Warner Theater that is such a thriving downtown compared to other cities that size. And we know there's still room for Erie to grow, but comparatively speaking, that, that I remember the first time I drove down State Street when I, when I came here for a job interview in 2012, and it's like you're discovering the world's best kept secret. You're like, this is not whatever I thought Erie was gonna be. This is not it. And I've, I've loved it ever since. We, we bought a house over the pandemic so if we had done this Zoom call a couple months ago, the house would have looked very different. But now it's we're, we're committed and we're here. Yeah, to your point about the weather, it almost feels like you have a sense of pride after making it through a tough winter. So, Right. Um, no, I feel like my, my friends from back home or people will complain, oh, we had a little bit of snow today. And you're like, nope, you don't get to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So this is the last question that we have for you. Uh, but what actions would you like to see young professionals young professionals take to positively change our community? I think one of the, if I can kind of take one of the biggest lessons that we've learned and, and everyone at our staff, I dare to say I'm the oldest one at 41, however old I am, and everyone's younger than me. So we definitely have a, a younger staff at the Erie Phil and they're hungry and they're passionate. But I think the biggest thing that, that we've learned and if we could make a t-shirt for how we treat things at the Erie Phil, is that it's better to ask forgiveness than permission. If that can be the, the thing I'll pass forward. 
even when we were looking at how to handle the pandemic, the idea of going away was never even broached at any aspect of the organization, whatever. We never came up with a concept of, oh, well, maybe we'll just kind of close things down and pop up again in a couple months. It never came up at the board table, in staff meetings, and maybe we didn't exactly have all the answers yet, but we knew we were gonna get there with it. And again, we, we just knew that disappearing and not being visible was just simply the one thing that wasn't, just was not on the table. So that that's sort of the mantra that we've always just sort of adapted that find a way to do it, let's make something happen. And if we break a few eggs or things don't go as well, I we'd rather have that be the case than not that I say that not that we're not playing it safe, but there are just some times that like survivability can't be the only goal. You have to be able to just look beyond that. And I feel like so far we've we've made it at least as best we can so far. We'll we'll see what what the next few months look like with getting back to some concerts outdoors and then hopefully the Warner renovations. Because I don't know, right now, if you've seen the back of the theater, it's just a big hole in the ground. So there's no place for us to perform right now. It's it's literally there's there's steel and dirt and there's no there's no stage. So hopefully that'll be done by the time we come back uh, in November or December of this coming year. Okay, well, thank you, Ben and Steve for taking time out of your day to do this for us. Uh, we learned a lot and we greatly appreciate it. And we can't wait to see that Star Wars show when you <laughs> can go back to doing concerts in person. We thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information about Young Erie Professionals, head over to yeperie.org. Once again, that is yeperie.org. This podcast has been produced in part by Edinburgh University Center for Branding and Strategic Communication and producer Chris Lantinen. Our music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. Find more information about him in our episode description.